Welcome to Nerds at the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. My lords, my ladies, and all of you listeners not sitting on a cushion, I have the pride, the privilege, nay the pleasure of introducing my co-host today, the titan of Trek, the awesome Anglophile, Sammy Maynard, and also we have the guru of the guitar, the sultan of space vessels, Dwayne Justice. Good evening, fellas. Hello. Hello. Well done, my friend. <laughs> Guess what? We're watching. <laughs> well, have watched. We have watched A Night's Tale, the first thing we rolled uh, in place of the lack of news. Yes. And and as I was telling the, uh, the guys at the beginning of this, this was the perfect movie to start out with. We are the nerds of the round table. We rolled a D20 to decide our move. And we rolled a knight's tail. So this is the trifecta of nerddom uh, before us. So. <laughs> yeah. perfection, perfection of a movie. 2001, a knight's tail. It seems like a sign that maybe this rolling thing is something we should continue. I think so. It worked out too well. I'm feeling it. Yeah, but we're watching, uh, we have watched in our reviewing A Night's Tale directed and written and produced by Brian Helgeland and starring um, a bunch of superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got, yeah, we've got Batman, um, we've got The Vision, uh, we've got Wash, uh, we've got a lot of guys. Uh, but Joker. Heath Ledger, Joker. Uh, yeah, Alan Tudyk, yeah, I forgot Joker, yeah. Uh, we got two Jokers, really, so... Oh, Heath that's Ledger's right. Joker and Alan Tudyk Joker. So, yeah. Yeah. So. But, I mean, I didn't know who any of these people were when I first saw this movie, though. It was just this. I saw a cool trailer and I watched this movie, and like there were like revelations over the place. Like this Paul Bettany guy. I'm going to pay attention to what he does from now on. <laughs> yeah. This Alan Tudyk guy. I like him. What's he going to get into? And, and Rufus Sewell is the, 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 you know, the bad guy in uh, Dark City and uh, the Dark, uh, I mean, the Man in the High Castle. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think Rufus Sewell was the only one I recognized. Like, I'd, I'd mm-hmm. seen him and stuff. But, like, I mean, even, oh, I'm forgetting his name, the guy that plays the Black Prince. James Purifoy. Yeah, he's so good, man. And yeah. I, During this time frame, he was in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, before we get too deep into the Night's Tale right now, our jousting alley, do you think we should maybe go let our fans know a little bit about some things we've been enjoying by keeping it 100. Let's do it. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. All right. I have the pride, the privilege, and the pleasure of going first on this as well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I'm going to keep it 100 uh, by telling you about the money. And no, not the new one. Um, see, as I was watching this movie, this this um, the night and I still it's got it's it's got a unique sort of feel to it, a unique vibe. There's not a lot of movies like. It. I was trying to think, okay, what's a comparison? What what would I recommend? Somebody told me they like this movie. What else would I recommend to them? And the first thing that popped in my head is the Mummy, the the Brendan Fraser Mummy. It's got that same sort of sincerity about it. Like we're doing ridiculous things, but we're playing it straight. Um, and it's just a fun, clever movie that lacks pretentiousness. It's just straight up a blast. And plus, I just, I love Brendan Fraser. 
Um, I don't understand his career and what's happened to it. Um, it was too many Georges of the Jungles. I don't, I don't know <laughs> what happened. Um, but he's a great dramatic actor, as well as he's just a dude with like leading a man looks, but with great comedic timing. And so I, I think the mummy is him at sort of the peak of his powers. Um, the effects are dated. I mean, the action is still fun, but the effects just, they, they're hard to look at now, but the story's fun. The characters are really likable and it's the closest thing I could think of to watching a night's tale. And so the mummy is my keeping it 100. All right. Well, that, that was a fun ride and I uh, get the privilege of going next on this keeping it 100 and I would like to keep myself on brand, on task, with the animation and with some space fun. Um, of course. What am I going to talk about this week, guys? But Star Wars. The Clone Wars. Not the Disney Clone Wars. Not even the Clone Wars that were directed by Dave Filoni. But in 2003, going into 2004... Cartoon Network had a series of shorts directed by Gindy Tartakovsky, Mr. Samurai Jack himself, and took place between episodes two and three. Uh, you can hardly find this anywhere anymore, but if you have them, yes, those are the exact ones I've looked at since seasons one and two. Um, it's got that weird blocky animation. It's got uh, just these little short story vignettes, but uh, the way they edit them together on the Blu-rays, it, it makes for almost a cinematic movie. Uh, uh, very, very well put together. And it's almost like these tall tales of the Jedi. You know, you have these phenomenal things happening. Mace Windu taking on 50,000 battle droids at once, all by himself and winning. You know, uh, you have him taking down these world devastator type devices all by him, all by his lonesome. You have Anakin Skywalker going on a phenomenal trial. Um, but that is, yes, yay! Um, Go! I would like to just promote that to anybody if you can find it anywhere for less than $90 on eBay per <laughs> disc. You need to check those out. They're just a ton of fun. Oh, the Kit Fisto one's one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> Kit Fisto, assault underwater. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So that leads me to my Keep It at 100. And I'm going to pitch a podcast. So this podcast is called You're Dead to Me. This is a history podcast hosted by Greg Jenner, and he is joined usually by one historical expert and one comedian to focus on a either historical event or a person. Topics can range from anything from the Haitian Revolution to the Olympics Games to Lord Byron. Uh, my personal favorite has been um, a look at the history of vampires in Gothic literature. It cracked me up. And that's usually <laughs> something you don't talk about with Gothic literature. But, uh, and even at the end of it, the comedian has to answer a quiz about the topic. <laughs> so he's got a, he or she has to listen closely to the whole thing. Uh, sometimes the information can lean a little bit to the mature, but it's such a fun format for history. This is definitely a podcast for the history books, and that's why it's my keeping it 100. <laughs> I think you want to keep it 100%. Sounds like a ton of fun. You're dead oh, to me. Okay, I'm checking it out. <laughs> the newest one dropped today. I've not got a chance to listen to it yet. So. <laughs> 
I'm checking out. Well, that sounds a lot like my thought uh, for this movie as we go into our opening thoughts and grades. Uh, You're dead to me? <laughs> no. Fun. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. I know this movie brings in a lot of modern music with the Middle Ages. If they would have played Fun, Fun, Fun by the Beach Boys, it would have treated it so well. I mean, because that is what this movie is. It's just so much fun. You have this peasant who's trying to fake his way through this jousting contest to win fame and fortune and feed his friends. It is so much fun. I mean, just from beginning to end, I'm smiling uh, at all the right moments. Sad at some of the right moments, but just a big smile on my face mostly through all this movie. Guys, I don't know how this could have been very much better. I'm giving it an A+. All right. I like it. Well, you know, Dwayne, I have to agree with you on so many points you made. This movie is the perfect combination of story, characters, and music. Knights and maidens, medieval Europe, a rockin' 70s soundtrack. How could you go wrong? Um, you know, this is everything that makes me love movies. Sure, it's a little bit of a reimagined history. But, you know, as I was reading, uh, the director was thinking about the relationship between the past and the present. You know, when we think of the Middle Ages, it's the past. But it was the present at one point. And all of the same... <laughs> All of the same. <laughs> Deep thoughts. <laughs> all, all of the same virtues and vices existed then that exist in the modern age. Greed, social strata, survival, the in crowd and the outcasts. This movie has it all. I agree with Dwayne. A plus. All right, uh, I get to go last, and I just—I'm so happy that you guys love a sports movie. I know you guys don't like the sports ball, <laughs> but this is a sports movie. It's got the skeleton. Yep. I mean, yep. from beginning to end of a yep. sports movie. Uh, yep. I mean, Kevin Costner had amazing. the training montage. Absolutely. I—I <laughs> um, I love this movie. Um, I've loved it since I first saw it in probably 2001. Um, I don't think I caught it in the theaters, which I really regret. I wish mm -hmm. I had. But I think at this point, my mom was uh, working at a, a movie rental store. And so we were getting all the movies. I think I came across it when she brought home a stack of movies. This was one of them. And it just blew me away. Um, it's so warm hearted and fun. Um, I love the blending of the modern and the ancient. It's done so cleverly. Um, we get to see some of our favorite actors in very early roles. I can't believe how young Alan Tudyk is in this movie. <laughs> Him and, and Paul Bittany. You can see quite a bit of Paul Bittany in this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got a great story about that that I will tell you when we put when we uh, press the stop recording button. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love this movie, and it, I, I don't think it's perfect. It's got a few things I would like to tinker with. I know y'all make fun of me for being a script doctor, but there's a few little things I'd like to tinker with. I mean, just some knobs I like to twist in different directions, but I think it's, I mean, in terms of enjoyment, which is what this movie wanted to be. It wanted to be enjoyed. This is an A+. Plus. I mean... Did you did y'all notice the runtime? It's two twelve, wasn't it? Yeah, it doesn't feel like that at all no, for a movie no. to be not in the least. that fun. That it feels like a ninety minute movie with a two hour twelve minute runtime. That's an A plus movie. Yeah, easy, gentlemen. So we add to the ring. 
We do. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Didn't even need a patent of nobility to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take this before the throne in front of that servant waving the fan. And let's talk about our fans. Sam, you're first out of the gate. All right. You know, I kind of alluded to this already, but my biggest fan in this is just the characters. You know, the actors that embody these roles, they just bring such distinct and special qualities out of every one of these characters. Watt and Roland, Jeff, right? I mean, how many people could refer to Jeffrey Chaucer as (laughs) Jeff? All right. William, Jocelyn, even old Count Adamar, okay, that awful Pratt, is just amazing, okay? Uh, You know, this movie could be played with a wink and a nod, you know, another fairy tale Middle Ages movie, given a modern twist, but it's just not that. I mean, they play this straight as can be, and it's still fun. Um, So, and it just comes down to the performance of these actors. So these characters are just amazing. That's my fan. Yeah. And they, they play it so sincerely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that about this movie. Um, uh, my fan um, this week is, I'm, I'm basically doing the same thing you are, but I'm narrowing it down. It's the okay. relationship between Jeff and Watt. I love every <laughs> second that those two guys are interacting with each other. I love that Chaucer knows he's going to get punched in the face. He knows what's coming. He can't stop needling Alan Tudyk. (laughs) And I love that Alan Tudyk, in most of his roles, he's not playing the tough guy. But in this movie, he is. And he just keeps wailing on on Chaucer. I just... (laughs) And their comedic timing complements each other so well. They're so perfect together. I feel like they should have done... We've missed out by not having the more movies together. Uh, Yeah. So my, my fan is the relationship between Jeff and Watt. So what you're saying, Jamie, is that um, Watt needs to join the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 100%. Compliment Vision there. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's so great seeing Wash beating up on Vision. <laughs> yeah, he is a those, large, semi-muscular man. They were they were hilarious. Yeah, that was a great part. And I'm, I'm kind of glad I got to go last and you guys got the characterizations and the relationships out of the way because those are so strong. But a real fan I had of this movie is the design. The design, I mean, they really owned the Middle Ages. You're right at the cusp of getting ready to turn the corner into the Renaissance. But everything is still so dirty. And people are just trying to drag it out a little bit, you know. And you still have this uneducated lower class. And you you can just see the glimmers of hope there at the edges. But I love the design of this movie. You know, everything is so dirty and gross. And the juxtaposition of the modern with the ancient, you know, when they go to dress at, at the ball, you know, they start dancing to this traditional music and then it bleeds right into a, you know, like James is a seventies pop song and they're dancing and reacting along to it. And music is, and you know, I'm in love with music. It's such a strong story to element in here. A lot of these scenes are told through music. Um, you know, boys are back in town. We will rock you. 
um, you know, all of this fun, fun jams, uh, you know, taking care of business, you know, as he's, as he's winning all these tournaments, uh, you know, the, the set design, the sound design just blew me out of the water and made this such an enjoyable watch. You know, like you said, you got a two, a two hour, 12 minute movie and, and it's like a hour and a half easy. You know, you would think, mm-hmm. you know, this is a single watch every time. Well, unless you had the week I had. Some weeks are tougher than others, uh, and at work, we're, at work we're going into inventory week, so uh, this movie's going to be quite a challenge. One coming up, even though I love it with all of my heart. But guys, I think we've fanned enough. Let's take our pan of bread and water down to the dungeon and see if this movie does have something to pan about. Uh, cat meat and hot wine (laughs) (laughs) on the skewers even it's it's terrible (laughs) I'm first on my pan and my pan is not that they were selling cat meat at the house but uh, I'm going to pick out a scene near the end of the movie that just hits the wrong note for me Um, it it still kind of works but I feel like it departs from uh, I'll just get into it so it's the arrest scene um, it's this, a scene especially where they're trying to convince Will to run and it just feels like it's hitting the wrong notes yeah. um, it's, so pride hasn't been his defining quality for this entire movie but that's what scene is about it's about his pride he won't sacrifice his pride the whole thing of the movie the theme of the movie has been about a person changing their stars you know about changing you know, you know changing their destiny it wasn't about his you know stubborn pride um it just feels weirdly out of character and it makes him just feel kind of stupid. I mean, like no good is going to come from walking out there. He's, how's that going to benefit Jocelyn? He's trying to, I mean, they play it as he's trying to spare her this existence that she wouldn't be able to enjoy or survive. Um, but it just, it, I don't like the way that Will ends up feeling in that scene. He feels, you know, egotistical and dumb. Um, so I, I'm going to script doctor a little more. <laughs> I propose a better scene. Instead of him being confronted, they are in the the stable. They come out to the list, and Adamar is there with his dad. John Thatcher is there. And it gives him a challenge. You know, do you know this man? Is this man your father? And so Will has to decide at that moment, has he changed his stars enough? I just think it would fit the theme better if he has to say, yes, this is my father. And then it would lead toward, um, you know, who he is at his core. And then when he's knighted later on, it feels like that would have bled together. Like he's still, he's still, he's remained true to himself and to his, to his ancestry, but also he has still changed his stars without denying or changing who he is at his core. And so I just, I just, I don't, I feel like it would have fit the change in the stars theme better. I just, I hate the way Will's portrayed in that scene. I just think it, it comes off wrong. So yeah, that, that's my pen. I just, that scene doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, that, that is uh, one of the odd scenes in the movie. Um, one of the one of the things that I'm going to pan here is one of the things I love most about this movie is a little bit of the music, but there's one particular scene that the music really drags me out of it, and I don't know if it's just the melody I've heard it before. It's just so cheesy and cliche for what they were doing, but as Will's riding into town and he sees Jocelyn walking through the crowd and you know he's singing the the rhyme to himself and you know her name was Nell. 
and, and he sees her and he says, oh, you know, nail rhymes with Belle, which is beauty, or hell, you know, which is torment. You know, which one could she be to him? But he starts to pursue her through the crowd and you hear this cheesy little melody come up. And it kind of turns into the love theme throughout the movie. And the love theme, you know, it's a beautiful love story, but that love theme is one of the weakest parts of the music through the whole movie for me. And it just pulls me out every time. I don't know what it is about those that series of notes, that little melody, da 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 you know, and I'm just like, oh, yeah. You know, that's that's really my, my only pan. See, I, I think you're right. I think that I think the musical choices they make as far as like modern music they bring in are all perfect. Are all Every perfect. choice is perfect. Mm-hmm. But I when they this, try to do some original, you know, I stuff think the like that, weak. that, the score is a little weak. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're you're not wrong. Okay. All right, Sammy, do you have do you have anything bad to say? You know, I'm going to be really honest. Um, I have no major pans of this movie for threat of being fonged by what. Uh, I can neither shed blood nor bring pain on this movie. Uh, The only thing, if I'm going to even throw just the slightest bit of shade, and I may be wrong on this, but the BBC history sources might be wrong. The only thing is Prince Edward was not referred to as the Black Prince until after his death. (laughs) Maybe not. A hundred... Like 135 years after his death. (laughs) Okay, I think once you begin the movie with a Queen song, you don't have to be historically accurate. Exactly. (laughs) When when all the peasants are going... (laughs) Yeah, when when the love interest is dressed like Gwen Stefani for the entire movie. (laughs) And you got Alan Tudor going, hello, it's a launch. Yeah. I think we can forgive some historical details. So, but like I said, I have no no pans. I could deal. Like I said, reimagining. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, as we pursue our review of this movie, as we chase it down until its entrails become its extrails, <laughs> I think we should maybe go to the tournament, find some of those awards. And pass them out to this movie. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. Well, I believe I get to go first. Yes. This performance. There's so many to choose from. I mean, you you can you can almost just throw a dart at this cast, and and you're probably going to get a strong performance. But an actor who is no longer with us, who's really the heart and soul of this movie, Heath Ledger's William Thatcher, you know, is really the heart and soul of this movie as he is trying to change his stars. As he's trying to exceed what he has been handed in life. He, he knows that there's something greater within him than there is without. Uh, and he is my choice for best performance. Uh, I've already, I think I've shown my cards already on this one. I'm going with Paul Bettany. Uh, I feel like he stole this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. He just, he brings so much energy and just dynamism to every scene he's in. 
I think at this point in their careers, he's probably the best actor of the bunch. Like, I, I think I think Heath Ledger labels up after this movie. He's yeah. not he's not who he was going to become yet. Yeah, he's not there yet. Yeah. Right. Um, and plus, he looks like he's having the most fun on set. I mean, who who is enjoying being in this movie more than Paul Bettany? I don't think anybody is. Um, except maybe when uh, Heath Ledger gets to kiss Shannon and saw him on. It looks like he's having a really good time then. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, Paul Bettany didn't even have to get dressed some days. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remind me to tell you the makeup? story at the end. How do you apply makeup in that scene? <laughs> it looks like they just threw mud at him. <laughs> All right. All right. Sammy, who's your best um, performance? I'm, I'm going to go a different way with best performance. You know, I'm a firm believer that if a character can elicit joy or hate, this actor is doing a great job. And Rufus Sewell as Count Adamar does so such a good job. You know, and so often in, in a medieval drama, <gasps> we get a really traditional mustache twirling villain, right? Uh, very Sheriff of Nottingham, you know, type of character. Um, but Sol is so much more nuanced. He has that perfect sneer to play the egotistical elitist jerk that can really be placed in any coming of age movie. The only difference is he has armor instead of a sports car. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's really what it is. He does such a good job. You can't stand him. He's so slimy. So <laughs> he, he is perfect in that role. And he's such a subtle bad guy. Sam, have you seen uh, Swill's performance in The Man in the High Castle? I have not. See, I've seen him in the Charles II miniseries, mm-hmm. where he played Charles II. And then he played... Um, I can't remember Lord M and I can't remember what his name is now. Sad, but true uh, in Victoria. So he's, the, the he's great in dark city. Yeah. Okay. In dark city. He was great. Yeah. You should really, and I would, I would throw this out as maybe a second keeping it 100 is, uh, you know, the man in the high tower tower series on Amazon prime. It's an original and he is so intimidating in that he's a, he's a Nazi uh, commander. Hmm. Yeah, he, he was. Insane. He was my. Yeah, he was my second. Was my, I, he was the only other one I considered really for Paul Bettany for best performance there. Yeah, he is insane. So Sam, you get to bring us up with the best scene. All right, best scene. You know, I, I think the scene that just I think is emotionally powerful for me. Powerful for me is when William is knighted by Prince Edward. I love that scene because because of William's honor and chivalry. And just just respect towards Edward at the joust previously. That is now being repaid. And it's this perfect climax leading to the final showdown with Adamar. Without that scene, we can't get that final showdown. Right. So and so that like I said, I love that scene. All right. Um, I had the same one. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to shift gears and say, I had, I had a runner's up written down because I thought I might not be the only one thinking <laughs> along those lines. Um, so my, my runner's up, uh, runner up is the scene where he meets his dad, the reunion mm-hmm. with, yeah, uh, with Mr. Thatcher. Um, yep. uh, the water dripping from the ceiling wasn't the only uh, moisture in the room, uh, yeah. as I rewatched yep. that scene. Um, it was, it was a powerful moment and, 
Uh, well acted by both of the Thatchers, and it was just a it was a great reunion. Yeah, yep, I agree. Well, both of you are not wrong, and I'm glad I went a different direction than uh, than either of those scenes, especially the scene where he made his father. I was really thinking about that being mine. But I chose, I, I kind of cheated and done what we've done with a couple other movies and chose kind of like almost a whole segment of the movie. <laughs> the final third. But the final tournament. <laughs> the final tournament when he, you know, when he reconciles with Jocelyn and then they have their misunderstanding and she says, if you love me, you will lose. And, he, and he's like, it's not in me to lose. And everybody else has bet, you know, they bet the farm on him winning. <laughs> And he's just out there taking these hits. And they're filming these guys sitting there just throwing sticks at him you know, <laughs> as, the, as the lancers are being sheared. And then her maiden comes to him and says, now you will not lose another round. And he, he has to own the rest of the tournament. And what, you know, just wringing his arm out. You know, in, in, oh, in, that looks so painful. Trying to trying to relocate his shoulder, you know? Oh yeah. That, that movie, that scene was so much fun. And you know, I just smile at his, at his frustration with, um, with, you know, Jocelyn and he sees it. And when Paul Bettany, he says, he says, it's your love. And he says, Oh, how I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then into the end, you know, when, uh, when Adamar Rufus Sewell is, is dehorsed, and and they all come over him and saying you have been found lacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it is funny that that scene also. You know, where you know all the guys are trying to figure out what's going on, and, and Kate is just like, it is kind of romantic. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you a woman or a blacksmith? It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, I, that that's a, a subtle, nice little thing too. As much as like Watt and Jeffrey are, are great together, the blacksmith and Roland and have Roland, some. They have some chemistry. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, their their interactions are really interesting. Uh, well, um, it's another opportunity for us to get into that. So our next award is best character, and I get to go first. I'm going with Watt. I mean, I love that guy from the second he starts kicking his dead knight. He's <laughs> uh, just wailing on him, you know. He's just this creature of pure, unadulterated emotion, <laughs> primarily rage. But there are these strange moments of sweetness and vulnerability in between the moments of rage when he's trying to fong people and causing them pain. Uh, also, it's Alan Tudyk, and everything Alan Tudyk does is entertaining. So, what's my best character? Oh gosh! Well, I had to mark mine out because you just took mine. Alan Tudyk <laughs> so, was was a great, great character. I loved him, but I'm I'm gonna go a little bit different way. And another, and a guy that you've already kind of shed some love on too. Paul Bettany is Jeffrey Chaucer, and I love his portrayal of Chaucer. I love the Canterbury Tales. I love the history there, and I love that Bettany's tackling him. Well, maybe you've heard of me, Jeffrey <laughs> Chaucer, the writer. Poet, you know, and and they just have no clue. And Charles <laughs> trying to find, trying to find his his muse there, and you see him kind of gathering some of the the basis and some of the bones of the Canterbury Tales, and uh, how he just portrayed that and his flamboyance upon the upon the stage as he's <laughs> heralding his knight into the arena. 
um, and winning over the hearts and minds of the common folk. I, I, I love that he plays that character so comfortable in his own skin. Uh, yeah. and, and, and not just the scenes when it's just skin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I have to agree with, with Dwayne. Um, Jeffrey Chaucer in this, Paul Bettany, is hands down my, the best character for me. I just... You know, if only this this guy could be my herald when entering the classroom. You know, when entering anywhere, I would love to be heralded by Jeffrey Chaucer. And very similar to, to Jamie uh, as he introduced us. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Lords and ladies, <laughs> may I present the master of mathematics, the man who puts the art in heart, the man who makes geek chic look fleek the marvelous the musical the maniacal mr maynard that's it (laughs) well sam in your classroom you do have a video whiteboard don't you yes i do i think we'll take the video of a pump that you're doing chaucer and and dub it (laughs) as you come in every morning So here we go. Well, I get the privilege and the honor. And the, my God, what choice do I make going next on best quote? <laughs> you know, we've talked about all of, all of Chaucer's wonderful heraldings uh, as he is introducing his liege. We've talked about, um, you know, all of the little interactions from character to character, the pain that is being brought, the flogging. Chaucer, I'm here all week. God, I'm good. (laughs) But a quote that I'm born with is when Heath Ledger is talking about changing his stars. And and that's just that idea. He says, you know, we're going to change our stars. That's my quote. Okay. Um, see, I've, I've got to go with Chaucer on this quote because I mean, just every piece out of Bettany's mouth is gold at this point. Okay. Just simply when he says, I will eviscerate you in fiction. <laughs> every pimple, every character flaw. I was naked for a day. You will be naked for eternity. Yes. That is a rebuttal. <laughs> yeah. And and it speaks so greatly to his respect and love of the written word. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I've got to go with two, and one of them is really short, so it's only cheating a little bit. Uh, but my, my serious one is when they're writing the letter. And mm-hmm. I love the way Kate, the one who's sometimes a woman and sometimes a blacksmith, uh, she tells them how to end it. She says, you have to end it with hope. Love should end with hope. My husband, God rest him, told me something I'll never forget. Hope guides me. It's what gets me through the day and especially the night. The hope that after you're gone from my sight, it will not be the last time I look upon you. And I was just, that's a really sweet, you know, moment. And the other one that I just want to mention is, is when they're making their bet and the French guys are taunting them and Roland yells back, well, Jesus is English. So you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> From Gilderland. 
The Pope is French, but Jesus is English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to be some man. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh. Sam. Sam, you get to bring us around to our last two awards, our episode specifics. All right. What is so, the best use of music? Best use of music. Uh, hands down for me, the dance. I mean, Bowie's golden years, smooth dance moves, that the interaction between William and Jocelyn, who are two characters I've not really talked about a whole lot through this whole thing because of Chaucer and, and Watt and those characters. But, you know, the, the, the love interest side of the movie. But just that interaction was great. And it was just so much fun. And Dwayne alluded to how they went from traditional kind of chamber music and then shifted. And I love the way you would hear a few notes from golden years here and there. And yeah. then it would be, and then a few more. And then when, when, the, when she basically supported him, when he was acting silly, trying to figure out how to do a dance. And then they choreographed that whole number to golden years. I just thought it was great. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in. I don't have any, I, I mean, it's so predictable what I'm going to say. It's We Will Rock It's the beginning. It's, and it's not just because it's a Queen song. <laughs> but it's the first time we get the the the, the feel that this is there's going to be some weird anachronism. And it's going to be stuff out of time. I can't say that word. Um, but like it, it gives us a vibe for the movie, right? Like this is not this is not Gladiator. I mean, <laughs> right. this is not a sword and sandals flick. This is about to be something different and it's going to be a great time. Mm-hmm. Buckle up, you're about to have a blast. And so yeah. I just love the, the way it sets the tone for the entire movie, just from the very beginning. And so we will rock you, and it is because it's a Queen song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I know I spoke about it earlier, you know, when you have, you know, the boys are back in town, when they're back in London, you know, they're taking care of business while they're training. But I'm, I'm with uh, Jamie the entire way, you know. The very beginning of the movie, you know, you see the knight who dies, and you see what, what you kind of get the setup of what they're going to do. And then you go to the arena, and then they lay it on you. Bam. This is going to be different. These guys are reacting, you know, just not that the music is just there in the background. These guys are reacting to the music on the screen, in the stadium, in the mud. Mm-hmm. You've got the shirtless sports fans drinking. <laughs> You know, you've got the nobility in the in the box. You know, it's kind of detached, but then they start, you know, tapping along. You've got these squires on the platform r- rousing the crowd. You've got the drunk girl dancing in the stands. You know, and you know what a better way to begin this than than we will rock you. Um, it was just so perfect and let you know exactly what you were getting into with this movie. So yeah, and, and, yeah, and right from the beginning, like 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 you guys said, I mean, you know, <laughs> at, at its at at the bare bones, it's a sports movie. Yeah. I mean, you you have all of the tropes that you think about at a sporting event occurring right there at the beginning. You have and the then, underdog; he's overmatched, yeah. he's outclassed. <laughs> you know, he he has he has a mission to you know win, but then he also has a girl to win. You know, uh-huh. it's it's all there. Yeah, it's agreed. Uh, well, our last award is the best thing you had forgotten was in this movie. Um, I hadn't seen this movie in a long time, and I had completely forgotten about the romance between Roland and the lady in waiting. 
once once <laughs> they meet, like, I think half the scenes for the rest of the movie, the two of them are flirting in the background. Yeah. And they're yeah. always standing together. And it was just, it was, I completely, it was so sweet. You know, it was, a, you know, it was just, but it was just nonstop. I kept, I kept, I caught myself watching the background to see if Roland and Grover together. Yeah, I, it was just it was a nice little detail. I mean, a subtle thing. Yeah, it's just it added a lot to the movie. It was fun. You know, I think for me, one of the things I'd forgotten was that reunion with his, with his father when when William is reunited with his father. You know, and, and it, it it's such a necessary thing once you rewatch it because for both an emotional, but also a fulfilling sense of plot to have his father there to witness it, or at least to hear it, bless his heart, you know, but that kind of thing, (laughs) Uh, you know, the, the whole plot of changing your stars and to have his dad there made it even better, I think, but I'd forgotten about that reunion scene. Yeah. Um, well, a thing about this movie that I had forgotten, I had forgotten an entire character. I knew there was a slimy bad guy. I just forgot that it was the great Rufus Sewell. I had completely, I knew, you know, like I said, I knew there was a slimy bad guy in here. I knew he was great, but I had forgotten that it was Sewell and how much I enjoy him as an actor. Um, in, in anything I've ever caught him in has, has just been great. So I, I just can't believe I had forgotten his entire, you know, thing in this movie. But an actor that shall never be forgotten. Nay, that the world may continue turning in darkness. Nay, that the stars will burn out. Our beloved Keanu shall shine and bring light and hope to the night's tale. Jamie, where is Keanu in this movie? How does he connect? Uh, this was one of the least fun one of these I've had to do. Um, <laughs> uh, a lot of the, most of the cast is foreign and they filmed in Prague. So a lot of the crew <laughs> is even not. So here we go. Small jobs can be very important jobs. In a hospital, think of the people's job to sterilize the surgical instruments. They aren't doing a flashy job. Dramatic movies aren't made uh, out of their work, but it's important, right? They fill out their job, and so the surgeries are going wrong, and people are dying. Or think about food delivery during the time of COVID. How much do we appreciate the uh, the folks delivering food to us? And they're not celebrated, except for Bad 80s movies starring Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> think of the person whose job it is to clean the pool filters. If they didn't do their jobs well, uh, our pools would just be full of uh, children's urine. Well, there is one of these undervalued people worked, who worked on this movie. His job on a night's tale was as the contact lens optician. <laughs> it's not a flashy job, but I feel his work went a long way for making John Thatcher believably blind. In addition to a night's tale, he's worked on a pile of MCU movies, 28 days later, Cloud Atlas, and a bunch of Doctor Who. Most importantly for our purposes today, Richard Glass was the contact lens consultant on 47 Ronin, starring our beloved Keanu. <laughs> <laughs> and that is our Keanu connection. And what a perfect name for an optician, <laughs> <in> Richard Glass. <laughs> <sighs>
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, guess how long that took? <laughs> <laughs> a while. Yeah. A few days by the sound of it. <laughs> it took two goes. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I was to the point that the cast, I was looking at people whose names weren't, like whose pictures weren't even on their IMDb profile. <laughs> well, and the contact lens technician, optician. Optician. <laughs> very nice, very nice. That's hilarious. I can't imagine. That is, I love it. You mentioned Doctor Who is probably, let's see, Series 10. Capaldi's 12th Doctor is blind in it, so got a feeling probably there. Yeah, and I I mean, there's lots of opportunities, like in the MCU. He's on a whole bunch of MCU movies. I mean, there's lots of opportunities there. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but our next quest is one of Sammy's picks. So Sammy, why don't you preview for us our next uh, review? All right. So, you know, even though it was my pick, it's also one of our highly esteemed holiday episodes. Now, here at the round table, we celebrate all of those little jobs like Jamie just talked about. So for our Labor Day special, we are going to be talking about office space. 1999's quirky comedy starring Ron Livingston, Jennifer Aniston, Mike Judge, Dietrich Bader, Gary Cole, and Steve Root in a very interesting role. So um, I'm looking forward to this. It's been a long time, guys, since I've seen this movie. Sam, (laughs) do you have my stapler? (laughs) (laughs) They have my stapler. Well, as we prepare um, for office space, as we, uh, you know, get our memos ready, Sammy, Jamie, what are we going to do for our next episode? We're going we're gonna to count our flares. We keep it nerdy. <laughs>